0: um as you can tell Corey, we're, i i keep it pretty keep it pretty casual here on dash cast um we keep it re- we keep it so real that we don't have an intro so uh, dash cast i like dash cast isn't that like a? That. it's got a nice ring that to it good did you come up with that yeah i did i Jeez. was able to i mean it wasn't Jeez. wasn't hard you just you just replaced the word pod or it's not even a word it's a prefix i guess with with the word dash. I and mean, it seems like that's worked for everybody else. Well, just, it's uh, uh, it's worked for the only other guest we've had on the podcast, which is Brian. And if nice. it's all good with him, yeah, then it's all good with man. me. Whatever he wants is he's good the, with me. He's the head honcho. Nobody um, cares
1: what the groundskeeper thinks. So <laughs> just move forward with all that.
0: You're not just the groundskeeper anymore, though. You're the director of <laughs> grounds. Is, uh, you just were promoted to director of grounds. Um, congratulations are in order for sure. How long have you been doing this now with the Dash?
1: With the Dash, I've been here since April of 2019. They kind of threw me in in the heat of the season with uh, transferring of the old groundskeeper out and putting me into it. And finally got an off season under my belt in 2020, made a lot of changes, really looking forward to it. And then everybody knows what happened. So 2020 got to see my stuff and everything put together and was ready to go, ready to, ready to rock and see some players on it. And then it hit and... Didn't get to do anything, but the grass looked very well in 2020 without having any of these baseball players on it. And uh, 2021 came back around, really looking forward to it again, trying to get some things fine-tuned from where they were prepped in 2020, where we let the field sit for basically a year with no use on it. So trying to keep everything back in professional standards. And when 2021 fired back up, that was actually my first season of me being the head honcho and just trying to take things my own way instead of back in 2019 when I just kind of kept the train rolling of what they used to do and learned some things and then implemented my own things in 2021 just to try different things out and make sure that everything was up to my standards. And uh, I think 2021 turned out pretty well, changing some things up. And all my guys seemed to be happy, and player happiness was number one on my list, and everybody didn't seem to have any complaints.
0: I remember being out on the field the night before opening day and looking at the grass and just being like, wow, um, just this the, is fresh.
1: Having you know a whole year of you know just grass maintenance, keeping everything on track. Like I said, I had a lot of trade deals and everything going on with different types of companies that really wanted to be a part of it. And having that full year of no traffic, no games, no anybody out on the field is just something huge that a lot of people don't get. And you really don't get it on a baseball field, especially on a professional standard. So having that year was big. And, keeping the grass rolling, keeping everything nice to where whenever they did come back in 2021, they're playing on a really decent surface.
0: You're a very player-centered player centered groundskeeper it seems and i guess that's what comes with the job but you really do keep the players safety and comfortability in mind when
1: you go to work absolutely we try to groundskeepers kind of compare themselves to umpires nobody really notices they're there unless something goes wrong and i'm sure you you're one to know watching the games (laughs) as much as you do then umpires really don't get that much notice unless something is something is wrong or somebody doesn't agree with what they did so we try to fly under the radar for sure but player happiness is something that I'm really big on because these guys could turn out to be, you know, the next Eloy Jimenez or all these big guys that are up there now that have actually come through this program. Andrew Vaughn, all the guys like Nick Madrigal, all those guys have come through and actually played on, on our field, on the dirt that I keep up, and that's something that I want to keep through to where whenever they get to those big leagues, they turn around and go, do you remember that Dash ballpark that we played on? I mean, that was high A. And everything was in great shape. And it's very similar here now that we're with the White Sox. And I want that to go through with everybody. And having the same age as most of these guys, too, is huge. I'm only 24 now. And all these guys seem really young, come out and play, and they're really good at baseball and seem to like it a lot, that I can actually tend to them on their level.
0: Did Eloy say anything to you when he came out for a rehab assignment this year? Uh, Not much. He's he's one to kind of keep to himself. Yeah.
1: has a good time with the players when he's out here, and it's a whole different atmosphere out there on the field whenever he's around. The players really tend to his energy, and everybody kind of picks up. And we had some issues last year, I thought, with uh, you know just some players kind of being down in the dumps. And whenever those big guys come in here, like Eloy, I mean, the whole dugout morale changed. And you could see that in their playing, and that's something that I love to be a part of oh, being yeah. down their own field level
0: Absolutely, those guys. I know that Eloy uh, bought the – the entire clubhouse, basically Outback Steakhouse, which is like a big thing. Yep. It's like a tradition when a major leaguer comes down for a rehab assignment. Like he buys the clubhouse um, lunch, dinner, whatever. And like yep. Outback Steakhouse yep. is more times than not a part of the a uh, part of the the spread for the oh, weekend yeah. or Never whatever can series. Go wrong is with a nice so.
1: filet mignon and a lobster tail. Now, Eloy and Luis, being the outfielders that they are, they're in Chicago. I mean, we had a pretty close span of those two guys that come in last year. And they wanted to be, they wanted to outdo the other one. And you could see that they got a really good relationship out there on the field, on the white Sox field. And then whenever they come here, they just want to show the guys that who's, who's the better guy, who do they want to come
0: back? Those guys have big dreams. Um, Certainly they thought about playing baseball when they were little kids. At some point I could imagine when it comes to groundskeeping, it doesn't seem to me like, that's a career that a little kid looks at and says wow I want to be a groundskeeper for a professional baseball team I might be totally wrong but was that your path or was this something that maybe you sort of crept into or stumbled stumbled upon
1: so I played my own baseball you know doing travel ball doing middle school ball all the way up to my freshman year high school I played all the way through and then realized it was time to get a job and the biggest thing for me was my middle school experience. My PE instructor there was also part of the baseball facilities and, uh, it would literally get us out of class. And, you know, a middle schooler getting out of class, that's like the next big thing there. So we would get out of class to go work on the baseball field. And then being a part of that and seeing how many fans come out and see the field after we had worked on it and did all those things, that was great. And that kind of transferred over to high school, working on different fields, keeping those guys up, looking at how a travel ball center works, like a big recreation center with a lot of different fields, how they operate versus one field. And and then decided to get a job. And I wanted to stay in it but didn't want to – you know, needed something to pay the bills. Cause now it's turning, I've got to pay for my own fuel and mm-hmm. pay for my own vehicle, all these things. So I decided to get into umpiring and umpiring was great. Uh, umpiring these little kids that are coming up through it just to see, you know, the next man, some garner coming through. Cause that's where I grew up was in Caldwell County and knowing all these guys that come through those areas and, uh, trying to keep that going in the baseball field. Cause I loved it. I love what I did. I love what I was doing. And, uh, staying into it, remembering all my roots back and keeping the field up together, umpiring. So now I'm seeing it used firsthand and actually have to you know, pay attention to those details. Being an umpire, you have to know like, this is a strike, this is a ball and what the mound does that can affect that or what the plate does, what the catcher does and keeping all that in faith and then getting into the landscaping business whenever I turned those next stages and decided to combine the two, stay in my baseball roots but combine landscaping with it and everything took off from there.
0: Being a former umpire, and i don 't want to derail the conversation from your job too far off the trail, but what do you think about all these new implementations of things like robo umps, pitch clocks, and the like into professional baseball right
1: i mean i'm i 'm definitely old school I love the way that it used to be. I want it to be you know we got two umpires running a crew to figure it out, and whenever I umpired, I was only in that eight to 12 age range and I'm talking I mean the fans are the biggest thing with umpires at that age because everybody thinks that their kids the next you know big time next Madison (laughs) Bumgarner next you know next pitcher and they're just learning curveballs and some of the stuff don't break off like they thought it did and then it'll finally hit across the plate and I'm calling it a ball and then you get just all the barking from behind you is the biggest thing so i can understand some guys trying to get out of it because a lot of it is you know fan interaction being with an umpire And like i said earlier i mean nobody really notices them unless something goes wrong or they don't agree with it and um, just doing their job but i do understand that technology is coming around and that's the next big thing is trying to get guys in here that you know you know labor budgets are different now and we can pay a robot a heck of a lot cheaper than we can pay an actual <laughs> decent umpire to get out here and work So uh, there's there's different ways to go about it. I am old school, but I do see that there is a lot of technological advances that are happening.
0: I'll be interested to see the reception on the umpire's end of things to where how many guys are going to comply, how many guys are going to totally resist, and how visible that will be to the naked eye when watching the game.
1: Right, There's a lot of guys that are very strong in their beliefs. They want everything like it used to be, sure. but those same guys are ones that – You know, still drive the nineteen eighty seven Ford to work every day. (laughs) That just think that there's no sense in having all this new stuff when the old stuff works. But there are a lot of technological advances that are happening, and it, it takes you know a decent guy to realize that that's where everything's going. He might not be a part of it, which I'm not a big fan. But that's where it's going, and that's where it'll be.
0: Yeah. At the end of the day, though, it's still nine guys on the field, one at the plate. I'm interested to see just how much the game will change fundamentally in five, 10 years. And that sparks the question in my mind, how much can it really change? A
1: lot of things are changing, you know, as far as managers having to work a lot harder, hitting coaches are putting in a lot more hours. Everything's going to technology now because they can kind of break it down to these new guys that understand that, that grew up on it. We can teach them instead of having these old school guys that kind of jump down your throat when you do something wrong. The right. way that I was raised and how I come up just was able to get better because of those arguments that the coaches would have with me. You can't tend to guys this, this generation like that because they don't respond very well. And I've learned a lot of that trying to train my guys on the grounds crew. I mean, taking things that different guys require different ways of training and, and learning things like that. And it's, it's, it's come a long way.
0: One of the guys who came through here last season – was Brandon Bossard. His dad, of course, for those listening who might not know, Brandon Bossard's dad is Roger Bossard, who is known by the White Sox as the sod father. He has been the longtime groundskeeper for the Chicago White Sox um, all the way back to uh, Old Comiskey Park. And I believe Roger Bossard's father as well was uh, head groundskeeper for the Chicago White Sox. So it's a family business. And... With that lineage comes a wealth of knowledge and experience in that field. Have you been able to connect with Roger and, and learn some tips and tricks from him? I was planning on,
1: I believe, the Dash were actually going to send me to Chicago to learn a little bit with Bossard, but you know, with 2020, of in, course. we wanted to keep everybody back. But had a great relationship with Brandon. The guy's a very down to earth guy, yeah. one that you can tell was raised, you know, with the old school stuff in mind. And uh-huh. I guarantee you that's how Roger is when I get there. And just, just to be able to talk to him and pick his brain on what it's like being the MLB side of it versus the MILB side of it and being able to you know, be with him and how he did everything back when and if he's still working on things now, is there's, there's a lot of knowledge there and there's always continuing education with any type of field that you're in. And I think he would help out a lot.
0: What do you think the first question you would ask? What's the first question you would ask Roger Bossard?
1: I mean, what's it like working on TV? That's the biggest thing. <laughs> For me, it's just like I get all these fans and stuff in here, and they they have to see the field. Now, everybody on television, there is so much that goes into the graphic design part of it now in, this, in, in the Major League Baseball industry to where if we put this on TV, we'll add a little bit of green here, add a little bit of red here, and by the time you see it on TV, the field is spotless. But what I want to know is what it looks like on the field level. Like, it does it really look, you know, this pristine? Do the stripes really glow this much? I mean, I, I compare myself and my field to a lot of guys that you see on TV. Like, my, why doesn't mine look this color? Why is not mine glowing as much as this? And I want to see what the difference is between being in person and seeing it on TV. And I've been to a lot of MLB games, don't get me wrong, but to see the thing on the field level of what he does that can – get these things portrayed across the television to look as good as they do. Like, logos is a big thing for me. I want to see, like, how we're mowing these stripes into the field to where we can get, you know, the pair of socks out there in center field. That That's mind-boggling to yeah. me. And I want to know how much of that is actually him working on it and how much of that is the graphic design department working as hard as they do to get the socks to look as good as they do.
0: Yeah, and sometimes it's so super obvious to know when the graphic design department is doing it, like especially on the back of the mound, like you right. just put the Kroger logo on the back yeah. there in like its original colors, and it's like shaking around yeah. a little bit. It's like yeah. you're not fooling anybody. Yeah. You're fulfilling a, a sponsorship, absolutely, but you're not fooling anybody. Yep. Kroger's very happy. They're, oh, they're of course not they are playing one time. Of whether they it's are.
1: graphic design or whether it's you know the groundskeeper actually throwing the paint around with the turfus and laying it out like he does and. I, I'm sure a lot of it has to do with, you know, being hands on and doing it the right way. But sure. a lot of it too has got to do with the graphic design department. Really fine tuning the edges as they show up on TV.
0: So if anybody listening isn't convinced by now, being a groundskeeper is not just mowing the grass right. and making sure I mean it's it's, it's a big part of it's making sure everything right. looks pretty, which is what I was about to say. But nevertheless, this job is so much more than what people think it is. And you get here earlier than most everybody. Yeah, I'm on usually
1: one to open the gates up for, for a lot of the employees that can show up.
0: And you're usually the last to leave. Oh, yeah. I'm usually saying hi to you on my way out of the ballpark. Right. Uh, so what... Take us through a typical day during the season. What what What's uh, what's the schedule look like? So
1: about 8 a.m. is what I shoot for, 8, 8.30, depending on if we're on the first game of the homestead where I'm excited or we hit that final Saturday-Sunday <laughs> game. We try to just kind of slow in at about 9, 9.30. But usually about that 8 to 9 is when I try to get in here. And uh, the biggest thing is keeping the moisture where it needs to be. And there's a lot of people that don't understand that, Keeping the moisture means that we're watering that infield during the summer ten to twelve times a day, just the dirt, not the grass I'm talking the dirt where the players actually do a lot of their a lot of their running around a lot of their fielding all that stuff that takes place on the dirt. It needs that moisture and to get the right moisture, it takes a lot of applications to build the soil up where it needs to be so by the time that game comes around, the cleats are going in and out, they're not running through mud, they're not running on like as hard as concrete clay they the hops are where they need to be The ball bounce is true no errors none of that because of the field and there's a lot of that that i've got to dig into but that's the biggest thing and i'll get in at eight get my cup of coffee you know mow the field do the stripes the way that they need to be done make sure everything's where it needs to be We'll walk mow the infield and foul if we're feeling it keep everything to to that you know professional standard and then my system will kind of roll in around 10 o'clock and that's when we'll start getting the tarps off, getting that attention to detail back where it needs to be for these guys before they come in for BP, You're trying to get it as close to game ready as we can, but also knowing that BP, they're going to tear a lot of stuff up. So we want to kind of find a happy medium between those two. So taking the tarps off, get everything ready to go. Always water in that gra- water in the grass, water in the dirt. Water is our biggest fan here. And, uh, keeping up with all that stuff. And then around 2.30 is when we'll start to get our early work and our BPs and stuff and start. And the Dash will take their infield first. We'll set up for their BP. And here lately it's been a lot of the visiting team wants to take their infield before their BP. So after we set up for their BP, they finish. We take all the equipment down. Visiting team does their infield. We put all that equipment right back up for their BP. So – Working with those guys, keeping a great relationship with the managers, letting them know, like, this is what I got. This is what I need. I'm going to work with you as best as I can as long as you work with me. And and a lot of that goes along with, you know, keeping a great relationship with the players as well as the coaching staff. And. Once they finally finish up with their BP, that's when we get the field ready, and that's whenever we start to go attention to detail 100. And we want to make sure that the mound is where it needs to be. There's no cleat marks. The plate's where it needs to be. No cleat marks. It's completely flat. We start chalking the foul lines. start chalking the boxes, get that final water out there with a quick drag beforehand, making sure that everything is where it needs to be for the game to start. And uh, that's that's when we get into the attention to detail. That's when everything needs to be to that professional standard or else we could have some severe consequences from that, making sure the bases are where they need to be, that they're washed and white and looking decent and the mound is painted and the rubber is nice and the plate is clean. We do all that before they get out there. And uh, once the game gets fired up and started, we'll drag the field with some big tennis court brooms in the third inning and the sixth inning trying to keep the cleat marks out the best we can, drive that field out if it needs it, and work everything and watching the game constantly in case we have an issue, whether a ball hits a different area or a player slides into another. We want to make sure that we've got the communication to get that ambulance out here, get that uh, first aid responder out here to make sure everybody's okay and making sure everything's out of the way for them. And player safety is a big one that takes part on the field, and, and we got to make sure that it's kept up with. And usually around 10 o'clock, we'll say a three-hour game, We'll start getting fired up with post-game, and uh, that's when we come out. We fix the holes from the cleats where the pitcher was pitching around the rubber and where his landing area was. Those are big holes that need to be fixed and back flat for the game the following day. And we fix the mound the same way. It's got to be 100% flat. Make sure all the turf is back where it needs to be. We get that final water out on the field, work on the bullpens and drag everything. Make sure everything is back to where it started with that 8 a.m. that I was talking about for the next day. So that attention to detail comes in, but – you got to keep in mind that it's it's 11 p.m. I mean, it, it's time to go home. Yep. But, but we're here usually about an hour to two hours after the game ends, getting here at 8 a.m., and then we'll flip back around and do it all again for the next six-game homestead.
0: It's a cyclical art and science that takes a lot of mental and physical gusto. Um, it sounds to me like there's a plan in place for things to go right, but – things don't go right a hundred percent of the time. Yeah. What I'm getting at is there's gotta be some horror stories of things going wrong.
1: And the one that happens to almost every groundskeeper, and I'm going to say almost cause some guys are a lot more particular than me, but irrigation cutting on during the game. That is something that I regret happening. I'm always looking for it now. And it did happen to happen to me in 2019 and Believe there was um, Corey Ragsdale at the time was an infield coordinator for the Texas Rangers, and he happened to get the brunt into that. So just just the fact that the grounds crew dealt with that. That I had a zone set to run. I think it was the first day in the homestand. Forgot to cut it off because I set timers for the for the water to run to make sure that the fields watered during while they're on the road. And I forgot to turn the box off. Simple mistake. Come back down. The game gets started. We're in second inning. I forget what all was going on, but the last thing I remember is them heads popping up and water starting to shoot out, and I'm running from the dugout suite all the way back to the back. I believe that game was actually in a rain delay as well, if I'm not mistaken. So we had a lot of tarp situations that I'm dealing with, finally get all that stuff figured out, finally catch my breath, and then those irrigation heads go off. So that's a big thing. And then another one that I hope never happens again, I want to make sure that Moving forward, I learned a lot from the situation, but Luis Curbello, yes, whenever he ran to first base last season, slipped on first base and happened to hyperextend his knee and had a concussion, and we ended up having to get an ambulance out here just to get him off the field. Now, it was a very dramatic situation. It was. Could have been avoided. I think if I would have gone, I'm, I'm not saying it's completely my fault. I mean, it's some areas you know you can't control, right. and, and I think that was one of those things. The bases might have been a little bit wet, but they also it could have been the way that he hit the base. And we had a rain situation that time, and – That attention to detail is something that nobody sees, but that attention to detail would have sent me a guy out with a rack to literally wipe the bases down from that rain or change the bases out completely with a brand-new set. That's something that I plan to implement moving forward. If we have those rain situations and the bases do take a little bit of water, let's go at least wipe them off. If not, then we're replacing all of them to where I I don't ever want to have to deal with that again because it is scary for the fans and for everybody. They're not understanding what has happened. All they see is... Me panicking around, making phone calls, getting on the radio, trying to get everything cleaned up for this ambulance to literally come on a professional baseball field to cart a guy off here. And to me, I don't want the fans to experience that. I want everything to go smooth enough to where the fans have the baseball experience that they paid to come and see. And I wanted everything to go smooth, and that's a lot that that I think about throughout the day is what can I do to where we don't have any of these issues. and a lot of that goes into through, throughout the day thinking as well as, you know, while they're on the road and along with off-season prep as well.
0: Yeah, I feel like a lot of that comes from experience, just learning from those situations, and it's unfortunate that they have to happen. Some are funnier than others, of course, right. the irrigation. But, uh, yeah, I remember that Luis Corbello slip quite well um, from up here in the broadcast booth. It was, right. I think it was like the second to last game of the season.
1: Yep, it was close to the end of the season. I remember it. I remember seeing him go up. I remember him seeing him hit. Yeah. I remember getting the, the, you know, we got signals and stuff that the, that the trainer sends out to sure. me out to bring the card out, whether sure. it be the Toro or we get an ambulance out. And I remember getting the Toro call. I thought everything would be all right. We just need to truck him. And then I got the ambulance call and I'm like, Oh, here we go. So it's, it's, it's stuff that nobody thinks about until it happens, and now I've got the experience to know. Let's fix it before it happens instead of the other way around, and that's that's a lot that comes with experience. They don't teach you that in, in school. Yes, I have a turf degree, and I take care of turf and make sure that it's maintained to the professional standard and went through all the college to get that, but in college, they don't teach you anything about dirt work, all that stuff that... A lot of people don't understand is 95 96 percent of the game that's played happens on the dirt i mean yeah the grass needs to look great but all the play happens on the dirt whether it be the batter whether it be the base runner the infielders the pitcher all that stuff happens on the dirt and nobody seems to think about that and they don't teach that in school all that comes from experience of learning what happens and being a part of baseball being an umpire knowing all these things really helped me and taking care of the dirt side of things and now in 2020, a big thing was to bring in the clay that is in 27 of the 30 major league ballparks. So we're, we're right up there with them. We got the right stuff, and I think it's helped out a lot.
0: I'm sure that Emmy Lou will enjoy um, running around on that new clay.
1: Absolutely. Emmy Lou,
0: Emmy Lou, is, for those of you who don't know, Emmy Lou is um, a black lab. She's Corey's black lab. She's three she's years five. old. five? She's turned five. We're going to get three. Emmy Lou just turned five uh, last December. Um, she is just an absolute joy. Absolutely, she loves the attention, and
1: rain plays <laughs> are one of her favorite things. She gets to slip and slide on that tarp and has a great
0: time while she's out here, but keeps me sane as well. I'm curious to know wh- where where is Emmy Lou on on pups in the like? What does Emmy Lou do on pups in the park night? She loves it. I think she's uh she's wanted to
1: big league a lot of these a lot of these dogs that yeah. come into this ballpark and it just kind of like ignore them, let them bark, do whatever they want, let them have a good time. But at the end of the day, she's got a job to do. <laughs> she's here with me the same amount of hours that I am. She's worked all day. She's tired by the time they get in here uh-huh. at seven o'clock. She's wore out. Whereas me and my guys hop on the Toro and drive around the track to get back to the shop. She's running right there with us. She's she's got plenty of miles on her during the day and then once the end of the day comes when all these guys get back in here, she's she's part of it. She she loves the atmosphere now. Firework Fridays. She's got to go to the house during BP. Really? She's not a very big fan of the okay. loud noises and stuff and she's got to go to the house during BP. So but other than that, she's here with me every day.
0: Yeah, a lot a lot of dogs don't like the, the right. fireworks yep. Um I mean she she doesn't free roam around the stadium, does she during yep. the game? She does during the games? No, not during the games. Not during, during the, the games. games.
1: But during the day, <laughs> I let her come out and do her own thing and the day that she stops coming when I whistle is the day that she doesn't get to come back. Ah. But every time that I whistle or I call, she is always right there with me. She was always at least let me know whether she's up on the concourse or somewhere that I can't see. And I'm out of the infield. If I let out a whistle, all I need her to do is come to that fence line. Let me see that she's still around. Give me the jingle of her collar. Uh That's the biggest thing. Uh If I can hear that, I'm good. Good to go. But uh, we've had some issues where the gates have been left open and she's never wandered too far. I mean, and I've got plenty of eyes around here. Don't get me wrong. A lot of these guys really love Emmy and a lot of the employees really love Emmy and they keep her on, on their radar, even though that I can't. And, she she wanders around, does her stuff, but she's always back to me whenever I call. She doesn't do any business on the field. There's none of that using the restroom on the field that nope. a lot of guys have had some horror stories with. She'll go back <laughs> in the back with with all of our other spoils of the of the job, and she'll do her business and she'll come right back out. And she loves. She's got to go up before pregame because she loves the water hose. She wants to jump in it. She wants to frolic. She wants to get nasty, and I just can't have that whenever we're trying to get that fine tuned attention to yeah. detail. But. Other than that, she's out there with me every day. She does her own thing. She wanders, does whatever. She loves to help the cleaning crew out the next morning. She wants to make sure all those Domino's pizzas get eaten up <laughs> or taken care of. Nobody left a hot dog laying around. we got to make sure all that's taken care of. But other than that, she she's just out to have a blast and keep me sane because there's a lot of hours out here where it's just me. And, and just bringing her out really just keeps everything light and the mood is where it needs to be.
0: Well, Corey, I, I can't wait to uh, to see you back in action once the season starts on April 8th. And I can't wait to see Emmy Lou, of course, roaming around and um, her kind of being the star of the show on Pups in the Park nights and, and all that great stuff. But um, thanks so much for sitting down with me today, man. It's 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 really been a pleasure getting to know kind of more about you. And, and uh, I've I've certainly gained uh, a lot of respect for. Um, for, for for what you do on a daily basis and uh, I'm, I'm excited to see you in action this season. There's a lot of attention to detail that goes into it and it's kind of like
1: the same mentality that the players do in between those white lines. That's all business and that's where it needs to be kept. But whenever we step out of that we have a great time when we're out here. Whether it be tarpools and we have a good time. I mean, yeah, we've got to get it on, we've got to get it finished up to where it looks decent, but once we're done with that, and I want to make sure that I'm thinking everybody. I want to make sure that everybody's happy. Do they need a new pair of socks? Do they need some shoes? I'll take care of them for things. If you take care of me and take care of the business, then we'll, I'll make sure that I take care of you. And keeping the mood light, pulling as many hours as we do, that's huge. So I want to make sure that the relationship that we have outside the white lines is something completely different than what we do whenever we're within them.
0: Corey, I think you're hitting the nail on the head, man. Thanks thanks a lot for, uh, for joining me today. Absolutely. It was a blast. You can see Corey Church in action all season long starting April 8th when the Dash open up their 2022 season against the Hickory Crawdads. Tickets are on sale now at wsdash.com.